Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Don't ever come to his house and you ain't got a praise on your lips. Don't ever get up out the bed and you ain't got a praise on your lips. Don't let your eyes open up and you ain't got a praise on your lips. Every day that you inhale and exhale, you should have a praise on your lips. We say it all the time, but we don't realize it. Let everything that have breath praise the Lord. Breath has nothing to do with if how you feel. Because you can feel bad but still be breathing. And as long as you got breath in your body, there should be a praise on your lips. I need you just to just just the last, I'm gonna leave you alone, but for five seconds, open your mouth and give him the glory. Hallelujah. We bless your name, God. You are a mighty God. And we worship you. And we praise you. You are a great God. Hallelujah. 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 You could be seated in his presence. We bless your name, God. Hallelujah. He's a mighty God. And we worship him and praise him for who he is. Hallelujah. I have to be honest with you. When I got up this morning um, and I did the prayer and I talked about strength, God did something a little unusual. Um, he didn't just give me the strength to make it through the day. Um, he did something where in the middle of my strength, he focused me in on stuff that I needed to get done. And I'll just be honest with you, today was one of the most productive days I've had in a very long time. Because when you let yourself go, when you let how you feel go, when you let your mindset go, and you trust him enough that you say, God, whatever you want to do. Watch this. In church, when we say, God, do whatever you want to do, we think of it in a churchy context. Sometimes God is getting you to get to the end of yourself so that you can release yourself to the place where he can do in you and give you some power that you didn't have before that moment. And he gave me some power in that moment today that I couldn't even understand. As soon as I let us got done with that prayer, I told myself, I'm going to be honest with y'all, I told myself, I'm going back to bed. And I sat there, and all of a sudden I started typing and started writing and started reading and started researching. And I looked up, and it was about 12 noon, and I had written two sermons and one Bible study. And I said, God, that ain't happened ever. And I, and I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, what are you doing? He said, sometimes you have to stand. My power that I give you is to give you the ability to do what I've called you to do. I'll speed you up in areas that you would not be sped up in if you would just trust me in the moment. Now, I could have let my flesh got the best of me and said, going on back to bed. But I realized, watch this, because the last couple of weeks, I can't understand it. I've been telling everybody this. I only get like six, maybe five hours of sleep, five to six hours of sleep every night. Usually I'm a good eight. And I've only been getting about five or six hours. And I was praying today. I said, Lord, and the Lord said, you're sleeping too much. I got stuff for you to do. But if you ever let go of yourself, I can speed you up in the process. So I said, okay, Lord, do, do your thing. And I went the whole day. And I feel like I had a nap today and I ain't have one. So when I came in here, it's not hard for me to worship and praise God. Because when you let go of yourself long enough, God will have you get, uh, give you the ability to do stuff you thought you would never be able to do. I prayed yesterday, you will have what you say. And I kept saying that, you will have what you say. Anybody was on, 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 on the line with me that you heard that um, on the prayer line? I said, you'll have what you say. 
and I noticed something we always confessing I'm tired tired T-I-E-D or T-I-D-E whichever one you want to call it I'm tired and, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of always confessing that and ever since I said you'll have what you say I've been changing my language so I didn't declare I was tired I said I was going back to sleep watch this because it was my habit because if I got up that early let me go on, on back to sleep and sometimes God is trying to break those habits if you will ever just let go touch your neighbor say just let go just let go just let go just let go he will make you more productive if you let go he will make you more productive if you let go I want to talk today I want to talk tonight uh, um, this is week three and I'm going to talk about contentious places in the Bible contentious places in the Bible um, places of contention in the Bible I want to talk about that on tonight um, because I'm going to deal with a very real subject that I think um, it's a roadblock for many people when, it, when we talk about is Christianity a white man's religion it, it's a roadblock for many people now I want to be very clear about my, my stance and what I'm saying I did not preach um, or teach is Christianity a white man's religion in order for us to um, be so pro-black that we anti everybody else that's not what's going on I want to be very clear the, the tent of Jesus is wide enough that everybody of different hues, different nationalities, different languages can be up under that same tent. I am teaching this so that you understand from the standpoint that when it comes to especially predominantly African Americans, our faith has been hijacked from us by bad posts, by ill-informed people, okay? And so I am trying to get you to understand the greatness of your faith and what, has, what God has done uh, and, and to include Africans and African Americans as a result in his story okay and so I want to be I want to make sure that I'm clear on that all right um, so I, I want to deal with some stuff tonight I'm be very honest with you it is going to be uncomfortable I'm just gonna be real with you tonight is going to be uncomfortable because we're gonna have to face some harsh realities about our faith that we don't like to look at but I need to explain them from a historical and biblical perspective all right um, are y'all ready tonight all right, here we go. Uh, go. Let's go to the first quote. Watch this. It's already uncomfortable. When you examine most of the atrocities in the, human, in the history of humanity, especially the Western world, Scripture was used to justify them. We're already uncomfortable. Yes. When you look at most of the atrocities in history of humanity, especially in the Western world, Scripture was used to justify them. Somewhere there was a theology that justified these atrocities. When you look historically at the tension in Germany and the rise of Adolf Hitler, you can clearly see that Nazism could never have taken hold, listen to this, had they not found clergy that justified biblically the eradication of the Jews. Do you know that's where that came from? Preachers got up and said, that it was God's will to eradicate the Jews okay without it it would have never happened and a harsh reality that we must deal with is that the Bible is I need y'all to hear this I'm saying this in love but it's the truth the Bible is the most dangerous weapon in the history of humanity I'm gonna say that again the Bible is the most dangerous weapon in the history of humanity watch this more than any armed device scripture has been used wrongly to justify some of the greatest horrors in human in the history of humanity 
So I want to talk about, come on, let's go, some misuses of the Bible. I think you got to press click. You got to do, you got to press click for each one. All right. The first one I want to talk about is the Crusades. The Crusades. The Bible was used to justify the Crusades. Come on, let's go. Also, I just talked about it, the persecution of the Jews. The Bible was used for that. The next one, capital, uh, manifest destiny. Anybody know what manifest destiny is? It's the eradication of the, of the Native Americans. The Bible was used to justify that. Mm-hmm. You don't believe me? Watch this. Because they looked at America as the promised land. And the Native Americans were the ones that were in the land that they had to get out. See how the Bible was used like that? Because what happened in the Old Testament? Israelites come out of Egypt. They got to go possess the land. When they go possess the land, what they got to do? They got to get rid of the people that's there. Okay? Told you it's going to be a little difficult tonight. Um, the next one, capital punishment. Capital punishment. Capital punishment has its rootings in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's the next one. The Holocaust would have never happened without the Bible. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's go. We have the Inquisition. Next one, we have the Salem witch trials. Mm-hmm. Here's the next one, the subjugation of women. Women should be quiet. They should keep silent. The man is ahead. Mm-hmm. And you should submit. Mm-hmm. And we use that word loosely because we don't understand what submission really means. Mm-hmm. The subjugation of women. Here's the next one, um, corporal punishment. Corporal punishment of who? Of children. Spare the rod. Spoil the child. Ain't that scripture? Mm-hmm. And we take that to mean beat the, the snot out of them. It's not what that scripture means. Okay? Come on, let's go to the next one. Rape. How is the Bible used at, for rape? Watch this, because women are seen as property in scripture, which means a woman technically could not be raped by her husband. Did that just go over your head? Do I need to say that one more time? If you interpret the scripture wrong, you will interpret it as women as seen as property in scripture, which means women technically, a woman could not be technically raped by her husband because she's property. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Let's go to modern times. Discrimination against LGBTQIA. The Bible is used to do that, to discriminate. Man shall not, not lay with another man. So let's not, let's not just legislate. Let's also try to kill you. Mm-hmm. If you're transgender, let's kill you. And we justify it somewhere along the way with scripture. Okay? Come on, let's go to the next one. Y'all got that? Y'all got that? All right. Now let's talk about race in the Bible. Race in the Bible. All right? race in the Bible. How does, and we've been talking about this all month long and we've been going to a deeper level, but I need to kind of, on tonight, I need you to take a step back and see it from its totality. All right. I've been very specific, but now I need to go very broad. All right. Let's talk about race in the Bible. The first thing I want to lift out that sometimes that we get is the myth of white superiority. Okay. At the core of white supremacy is scripture. The idea that there is an elect people that God ordained to rule over the people of the world. Mm -hmm. 
there's a, uh, um, a video of the founder, it's about eight minutes on YouTube, of the founder of the alt-right. And when you listen to him, he explains his position. Trump supporter as well. Anyway, um, and he explains his position. Um, the alt-right. Charlottesville? Y'all with me now? Okay. And so he explains his position. And in him explaining his position, I'm not going to play the video tonight, but in him explaining his position, he uses the word of God to explain why there should be white supremacy. Here we go. Next thing I want to lay out is the fallacy of black inferiority. It's tied in the scripture. All the way back to, anybody know, I touched briefly on it, but where is the, the, the fallacy of black inferiority, where blacks are inferior? Where do they get that, or racists would get that in the Bible? Does anybody know? I touched on it very briefly. What was it? Curse of Ham in Genesis, okay? The curse of Ham. And it's the thinking that blacks are inferior based upon that scripture. I think it's Genesis 9 and 10, all right? Um, also, what has come out of race in the Bible? Slavery. Slavery. Slavery, catch this, has to have a theological backing because you can't enslave, mistreat, and kill what is human without something that tells you they're really not human. And what is the ultimate authority in this Anglo-Protestant Protestant world? Scripture. Okay, so slavery is is the they use the word to justify slavery. All right. And here's the last one. Legalized racism. Legalized racism is tied to scripture. Okay, it is important to me as a pastor and as a Christian. Where is the where is the Bible on the issue of race? It is our job to investigate what interpretation of scripture led us here. Okay. I want, want you to see this, and you've probably never realized this before, but I need you to see this. Come on, let's go. What is interesting is that the Bible is one of the only books that is passed down through generations. The Bible is one of the only books that is passed down through generations. Mm -hmm. When we pass down Bible, when we pass down scripture, the belief that there is something authoritative, um, uh, authoritative about these 66 books, we are also passing down a theology, perspective about God and the world and human relationship. Most people developed homophobia from somebody in their family who created a theology based upon that and passed it down some people uh, got racism from a family member that had a theology attached to it that was passed down from generation to generation mm -hmm. that is why some sense of white supremacy is passed down generationally so when I pass down the scripture about Ham I am also passing down the belief that black people are cursed are y'all with me I'm passing down my theology as I pass down the scripture. And the question becomes, how and why does our interpretation of scripture change, catch this, in succeeding generations? I want to ask you that. How and why does our interpretation of scripture change in succeeding generations? Can anybody answer that? Let's go deep. I need you to think about it before you answer that. How and why? 
does our interpretation of scripture change through succeeding generations think about that just for a minute Y'all didn't know y'all came to think? It's a thinking church. Just want to let y'all know. We don't just shout. I need you to think. Because I don't need you to think what I think. I need you to think. Okay? How and why does scripture, uh, interpretation of scripture change through succeeding generations? Anybody? Anybody? Yes. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. So, one of you used the word and the answer, and I'm going to get to it. If someone from 100 years ago, 1920, was to step into this time, what would they have a problem with? Let me make it more specific. What would they have a problem with with women? Huh? Okay, pants, but what else? Allowed to speak freely. What else? equality because in 1920 women were not in this position that they are in right now right but wait a minute in 1920 the scripture said the same thing that it does in 2020 so what happened you use the word enlightenment yep so if our grandparents and great-grandparents believe Paul was right in 1920, why do we believe differently in 2020? Why do we change our interpretation of Scripture in succeeding generations? Are y'all with me? Y'all talk back. Are y'all with me? There were people who biblically endorsed slavery 200 years ago. They had Bible to back it up. Because Paul said, which I'm going to deal with tonight, slaves, obey your master. So why do we still, why do we not still condone slavery? How has our understanding changed? Why? Watch this. We have become an enlightened society, watch this, who recognizes that some things in the history of our people was wrong. It is the same Bible, but in 2020, we believe that owning someone as property is wrong. Do y'all get that? Everybody with me? Are y'all with me? I'm trying to make sure y'all with me because I can't move on to the next part unless y'all get that because I'm going to really mess you up on this next part. Which brings in, we're going to go real deep right now. Come on, let's go. Which brings in the Wesley quadrilateral. Quadrilateral. Watch this. There are four ways, deep theological term, 
uh, the Wesleyan, they really is the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Um, it is four ways we know God. Four ways we know God. Here we go. Go to the picture. We know God through scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. We know God through scripture, reason, tradition, experience. Mm -hmm. I know you only thought you knew God from your word. That is not true. You know God through many other elements. You know God through scripture, reason, tradition, and experience. Scripture, the Bible. You know God based upon what his word says about him. You know the character of God based upon the word of God. But you also know God through tradition, the church. You know God because there has been a tradition that has been passed down to you. If you came from the old school Baptist church, there was a table or even the AME church, there was a table at the front of the church. It was wood. And what did it say? Do this and remember this. See, you don't, know, no, you don't even know what I said in scripture, but you know that. Watch that. Because why? Because you have learned that through tradition. You have learned that God said, do this in remembrance of me. So a couple of months ago, when we stopped doing uh, communion for a while, y'all panicked. Y'all went crazy. We ain't doing no communion. What is going on? Because you know God through tradition. You don't even know that the scripture actually say that you're supposed to do it daily. Not once a month. Uh-huh. But your tradition has taught you something. Are y'all with me? So you know God through scripture. You know God through tradition. You also know God through reason. Through your own reasoning. Sometimes God does stuff that you ain't got no scripture for, but you know it's God. That's why you don't disengage your mind when you come to church. Because your mind has to be a part of what God is doing. Because you will be able to recognize when it's God and when it's not God. And you might not have scripture for it, but your reasoning will tell you. And then experience as well. That you have experience with God and you know through your experience that that is God. So you know God through reason, tradition, experience. What I like about this picture, and I, and, and I had to really research and study this because most of them would show them like different four uh, things. But this one is actually the best one. You know why? Because your reason, your tradition, and your experience should always point back to the scripture. So you can't say you know God is doing something that the scripture don't back up. You might not know it don't back up, but if it don't back it up, that ain't God. Mm-hmm. Are y'all with me? Y'all get that? Okay. The denomination that you are in is, ba is, uh, is based on where you put your emphasis. So let me put it like this. So if you are Baptist, you put your emphasis on scripture. Now let's break these, these four down. But there's a lot of you that get from tradition that is not necessarily Bible. Okay. The doctrine of Trinity certain church practices the role of women in ministry comes from the teaching of the church not necessarily bible let me back that let me let me say that one more time because i think i went too fast the doctrine of trinity certain church practices and some in some churches the role of women is not necessarily from the teachings of the bible it's from the teachings of the church so you got them churches that women got to come in with them little doilies on their head mm-hmm because you can't come in church with your head uncovered. 
Right now, the only one that's going to heaven is Beverly. <laughs> Rest of y'all going to hell. Because y'all came in here with no, no head uncovered. That's not scripture. That's tradition. Do you get that? Okay. So the, most times, the denomination that you come from decides where you put your emphasis. Y'all get that? Okay. All right. Reason maybe means a recognition that God may be operating in events and movements of people through time. So as we have come to the realization in 2020 that owning someone as property is wrong, we believe that is a revelation of God. That's reason. Y'all get that? Okay. Uh, that God has moved society to, to a more just and godly place than in the time of antiquity. It is that God reveals even outside of scripture. I'm getting ready to say something that's really controversial, but I need you to get this on tonight. I need you to think. You ain't got to think like me. So I'm going to just press your borders just for a little bit. Here we go. If God is not bigger than your Bible, your Bible is God. I love I'm messing with y'all right now. I love it. I get it. I, oh, it's so wonderful. If God is not bigger than your Bible, then your Bible is God. In other words, if you limit all that God can reveal to what you can interpret in Scripture, you may have limited God to 66 books by human hands. And it is possible for God to be moving in ways that are not contradictory to the 66, but are outside of it. Do y'all get that? Okay, let me put it like this. Very controversial. So, in this church, I don't care what your sexual orientation is. That doesn't bother me. That ain't no issue. In this church... I don't care what your sexual orientation is. You can actually even serve on ministry. Now, there are some other churches that you go to that if you live an openly gay lifestyle, that you are completely shut out. You are shunned. Scarlet letter, you know, get out. Okay? But in this church, I don't care. Watch this. In Bible times, they could never imagine a freedom church. But if we stick so closely and we start, watch this, not allowing God to be bigger than our Bible, then our Bible becomes God and not God being God. Because my thinking is, I need to be very clear on this, my thinking is, I don't care where you come from, I don't care what you struggle with, I don't care what you're in, I serve a God that is so big that can include you and work on you while you're included. You ain't got to go get yourself together, you can come up here and process through. Y'all get that? Do you see that? Okay. Now, that, that's, that's, that's heavy because if you don't understand that, then you will get stuck somewhere that you should not be. All right? Um, not owning slaves, that is a movement of God. And one of the worst things to be is someone who stands in a position that people clearly see that is not the way God is moving in the world. You start to look strange. So if somebody came in here and said, I believe that we should own slaves, all y'all going to look at them strange. Because you understand that God has moved on. Do you get that? Now, don't worry. I'm going to talk about slavery in the Bible. I'm going to get there. Don't worry. If you are still arguing that women have no role in the church, you look strange. Now, I know some of y'all might come from um, backgrounds where women could not preach 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? That you came from a background that women could not preach, women could not teach the word of God. Um, uh, most churches are not progressive. I think one of the most progressive churches on the front end of that was the AME church that had been doing that for a long time before everybody else caught up. And then Baptist churches finally got on board, non-denominational, you whatever go. <laughs> Just whatever, all right? Um, but if you come into certain areas, like if you came into freedom and say, I don't believe in women preachers, you're going to look real strange because we got them. You get that? Because we know God has moved on. Okay? And, and so you don't, you don't get on the bus when God, you didn't get on the bus when God was moving it. And the reality is 30 years from now, it's going to be really hard for you to hear, but I need you to hear this 30 years from now. Where will this bus be going on sexuality and gender issues? Chew on that for a minute. Because now we're attacking your tradition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because 50 years ago, we could never imagine a woman pastor. Now you got them everywhere. Do you see that? You get that? Okay. All right. Now, I'm not arguing theology with you. I'm not ar ar arguing what's right and what's wrong. That is not my point. My point is bigger than that. Take your mind off of trying to argue with me in this moment because some of y'all in your mind, well, I don't believe in that. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking from a larger perspective. Come on up a little higher. Stop being down there with the chickens. Come up with the eagles. Okay? Come on up. All right? So when you look at the history of the interpretation of scripture, we will see people that didn't get on the bus of God moving humanity to a more godly destination. We know better, so we what? Do better. It's just like when we discipline our children. Um, some of you have evolved because you grew up getting beat with a switch. But you know that's not the way the truth of the life. So now, watch this, some of you have to tell grandparents, don't discipline my children that way. Get on the bus. Because when you know better, you do better. In fact, a lot of our kids nowadays, you can't even be fussing and, and hollering and screaming at them like that. Some of them don't even interpret that no more. All that whipping and beating. Sometimes they need a good talking tonight. Some, some, some of them, they need to, you know... <laughs> A good knot on their head. Just one good knot. They'll stop it then. Okay? So how do we how do we go deeper in this when it comes to race in the Bible? Come on, let's go to this quote right here. Scripture, not the Bible, was first transmitted to blacks in America by and in the in the interest of slave owners in the attempt to sanctify slavery and preserve free labor. Selah digest that just for a minute because I need you to see that first part scripture not the bible was given to them okay because if I take a piece over here and a piece over here and a piece over here and give it to you now based upon what I gave you you build a theology off of it and I can prove any to, anything to you if I leave stuff out Mm -hmm. yeah I could prove anything to you it was excerpts of scripture they didn't give them the whole bible in fact the biggest fear of literacy for the slave owner was that they didn't want you to read the bible 
they didn't want slaves to read the Bible, not because they didn't want them to be educated. I mean, they didn't let the slaves read, not because they didn't want them to be educated. They didn't let them read because they didn't want them to read the word. Because they knew if they ever read the word, they're going to stumble on Exodus. Okay? Because if they read the Bible, you will find out there is more in there than what we told you. So it was illegal for black people, enslaved people in America to read, not just the newspaper. The fear was that you start incorporating scripture, you start incorporating God. And what would happen, I'm going to ask you this, what would happen if you get some slaves thinking that God was on their side? Do y'all get that? What would happen if they started to believe that God was on their side? You know what would happen? Here we go. Here's what would happen if they believed that God was on their side. You get a Nat Turner. You get a Denmark Vesey. You get a Gabriel Proser. You get a um, Armanita Ross. Y'all don't even know who that last person is. Harriet Tubman. That's a Armanita Ross is a real name. Mm-hmm. Watch this. When black people got the Bible, you get black preachers who led revolt to let the enslaved people know, no, God brought us out of Egypt. That was the purpose of literacy for black people. It was done by, a, by white slave owners. Watch this. They gave them only parts of the Bible to let them believe that they were supposed to be enslaved because, if I, because it, I had to sanctify slavery. I had to make it holy in an effort, watch this, to preserve free labor. Because if, watch this, because America would not exist without free labor. I need y'all to stay with me. America would not exist without free labor. So I had to give you something to, watch this, to make me feel better about what I was doing to you. So if I bring God into it and say, well, God wants you to be like this, now I feel all right. I feel all right in my superiority. So I only give you parts of the Bible. I give you certain scriptures. I don't give you the whole word. Are y'all with me? Let's go even deeper. So now let's talk about slave owners and the Bible. Slave owners and the Bible. Let's go deeper. How did they use the Bible? Um, Kate, Katie Cannon wrote an article, an amazing article. Katie Cannon wrote an amazing article called Slave Theology and Biblical Interpretation. Slave Theology and Biblical Interpretation, where she summarized how slave owners use the Bible with slaves. Okay? She summarized how slave owners used the Bible with their slaves. So here's what they did. Number one, they, they used passages in favor of the slaveholder. They were quick to go to the scriptures where, where, where that said, slave owners, uh, slave owners you, uh, obey your masters. At the same time, excluding the bulk of the Bible, where passages that show that slaves shall be set free, the low shall be lifted, the poor will be enriched, the exalted shall be humbled. The major thrust of scripture is that God chooses to, chooses to side with the oppressed. Let me say that again. The major thrust of scripture is that God always chooses to side with the oppressed. This is why, I need to go political and I'm going to get out of this. This is why what was happening at the border was an atrocity. Because that man stood up there and used scripture to justify why we were keeping them out. But my Bible says that you are supposed to be welcoming to the immigrant. That's what the Bible say. But he used another scripture to justify why we had to keep the sanctity of America. Because we had to make it, make it great again. 
the major thrust of scripture is that God does not choose. I ain't running for office, so I don't care. God does not choose sides with, with God chooses sides with the, with the oppressed. And he chooses the side of the oppressed. James Cone, talked about him before, black liberation theology, he created that, said, God does not remain neutral in time of oppression. Say that one more time. God does not remain neutral in the time of oppression. James Cone wrote a wonderful book, Black Liberation Theology, has very many other books, great reads. I just want to let you know, he saved, but he cussed a lot. So it's cussing all in his book. It's wonderful. He's a preacher. He, well, he's going home to be with the Lord, but he cussed all through the books. So I'm just letting you know. It's, it's, it's just, you just got to digest it. All right? All right? So passages in, the, in favor of slavery. Let's go to the next one. They taught that blacks had no heritage in the word. Meaning that there are no black people in the Bible. And I have just taken the last two weeks to prove you otherwise. And anybody that has not listened to it, go to our podcast. I promise you, it is the most eye-opening experience that you will have. That you will see all these black people in the Bible. Because when you tell someone they are not in the Bible, it tells them it has nothing to do with you. Do you get that? The danger now is black people are telling other black people this. Mm-hmm. Another thing that slave owners did, uh, blacks were not human and were, in, were inherently inferior. Because of the curse of Ham, that black people were unintelligent and we have grotesque uh, physical features because we copulated with animals on the ark. Mm-hmm. That's what they told the slaves. Your nose is big because your great-grandmammy slept with a bull. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Next one. They will connect black to bestiality. They would connect black, being black, to bestiality. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. They taught that God foreordained blacks to servitude. So they would tell the slaves, don't blame me, blame God, because that's how he made you. Mm-hmm. Here's the last one. Slavery was not a violation of God's law. This is what they taught the slaves. Slavery was not a violation of God's law because you had to elevate guilt. You had to to elevate it. You can't whip people, snatch families, kill without any regrets, without believing that God ordained it to be so. Slave owners had to distort passages in the Bible to give permission to trauma against slaves. So how do we deal with the slavery scriptures, which we're going to talk about tonight? How, are we, how do we deal with the slavery scriptures, all right? So I want to give you, come on, let's go, the principles um, of interpreting different passages in the Bible. The principles of interpreting, go to the next one, the principles of interpreting di- uh, uh, difficult passages in the Bible. Principles of interpreting different passages in the Bible, all right? I want to give you some principles. Now, there's many of them. Actually, it's 10. But I'm only going to give you a couple of them so that you can understand how to interpret Scripture. Because if you don't know how to interpret Scripture, you can use it out of context. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can use it out of context. Man should not be, uh, be alone. So I'm supposed to have me somebody. Mm-hmm. 
How can one get warm unless two lie together? That's in the Bible. So let me go get me somebody because it's cold tonight. <laughs> if you think you're lonely now. Okay? But you can take scripture and do that. So the first thing is genre matters. The genre of the book that you are reading in the Bible, it actually matters. The genre matters. There really isn't any other book like the Bible. Catch this. It is comprised of 66 books. It was written by 40 different authors. It spans 7,000 years of history and utilizes more than 10 different genres to tell one cohesive story about God and humanity. All that's in that one book. In his book, A Layperson's Guide to Biblical Interpretation, Dr. Luke Bobo reminds us that while all genres operate on our imaginations, on our emotions, on our intellect and will, they do so differently. Mm -hmm. Poetry engage, po the poetry books engage our imagination and emotions the way that the narrative books could never do. Instruction given in wisdom like the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes should be read and interpreted differently than the instructions Paul lays out in the epistles to the church. It's not the same. So the genre of the book of the Bible that you are actually reading matters. Okay? So let me give you a couple of things. First of all, you got to see historical narrative books. The historical narrative books. Uh, they, they recount the past. The books of the Bible that recount the past. They make up about 60% of the Bible and function uh, as descriptive texts that inform us of what happened in the past rather than prescriptive texts that instruct us on how to live in the present. So you don't look at David going to the slew Goliath and say, I got to go cut off my, my boss's head. Because that's the giant in my life. Are y'all with me? You get it now? Okay. That's a, that's a historical narrative. Okay. So you get books like Genesis, Judges, Daniel, Ruth, 1 Samuel, 2 Chronicles, Matthew, Luke, Acts are all historical books. Now, it does not mean that you can't glean some context or some principles that God is trying to show you from the story. But it means it's not prescriptive. So it doesn't mean you do exactly what they did. Mm-hmm. You don't be like David. I'm going to pick on David. You don't be like David and see a woman and go lay with her and then go kill her husband. Because the word said it. No, it did not. That was a historical book. Okay? And if you don't understand that, you'll use scripture out of context. You also have the books of the law or the law books. The law rec uh, recorded in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Laws given to Israel to govern their covenantal relationship with God. Many laws seem like they have a lack of rev uh, relevance today because it was fulfilled in Christ and Christians are no longer bound to the law but it still has the law still has value to us they provide ethical moral and theological principles shows the character of God so you eat pork but Leviticus say uh-uh you shouldn't touch the swine it's how the nation of Islam get y'all because you don't know your own word so you ain't supposed to have no swine because you eat, you eat pork. And your, your Bible say, don't eat no pork. You ate shrimp. And the Bible say you ain't supposed to eat no shellfish. That's what Leviticus say. Watch this. But that's in the law. Christ came to fulfill the law. Watch this. So I don't, I'm not bound to the law anymore. What was the principle, though, that God was trying to teach us? 
that he was a holy God and there were certain things that you should not deal with. Watch this. I'm going to go deeper. There's certain things that you should not ingest because it ain't holy. Now, he's no longer talking about pork. He's talking about foolishness. He's talking about drama. He's talking about the crazy thoughts that you keep ingesting. It's the foolishness that you keep watching when you're supposed to be trying to get in the presence of God, but you're still watching Love and Hip Hop. Love you too. Mm-hmm. See, this kind of stuff, this is the kind of teaching we need because the, the world got you going crazy trying to do a list. And God is saying, I ain't concerned about no list. I'm concerned about relationship. Stop checking off. I did this. I did this. I did this. You did all that and you never talked to me. Okay? So it's trying to show us the character of God. The, the, the next books that I want to talk about are poetry books. They communicate pain. They communicate confusion. They communicate love. Expression of the heart. What's the best poet? One of the best poetry books in the Bible? Psalms. Okay? Psalms. Also Hosea and Lamentations. Blow your mind this time. Actually, and also, one of the poetry areas in the Bible is the Gospel according to John, the first chapter, verses 1 through 3, and Philippians 2, verse number 6 through 11. Those are poetic. Read it when you get home. Very poetic language. Okay? So, genre matters when you read the Bible. Here's the next thing that matters when you read the Bible context. Context matters. When Paul said women should keep silent, it was because they were Jewish and the men sat on one side, the women sat on the other side. So while the preacher was up talking, the woman would jump up, run over to the husband. What he talking about? And they would be loud. And Paul got upset, said, shut up. Sit down. When the preacher trying to preach, you are too loud. Do you see that? context but if you don't know the context you build a whole theology of women should ought to be silent so all of a sudden that now means they should they shouldn't preach but you're supposed to stand at the bottom at that little podium and get them on an announcements and then go sit down but don't you walk in that pulpit because the whole thing will just blow up some of y'all come from that kind of church you know exactly what i just said they can't come up there you had the preacher up there you had all them old folks that sat up there Look down. They moved the whole praise and worship, whole devotional service. They sat there with their arms folded the whole time. God went all the way around them. <laughs> context matters. Everybody say context matters. Every verse exists within a paragraph that exists within a chapter, that exists within a book, that exists within a testament, that exists within the Bible. So if you just look at that one verse, but you don't see it from a larger perspective you will misinterpret the text sometimes we can't find answers to our question if we sometimes we can find questions to our answer if we just keep reading for instance if you are reading John 3:16 and you find yourself w wondering what eternal life is Jesus talking about just keep reading cuz you get John 17 to 3 read it when you get home context matters everybody say context matters now that is major when it comes to dealing with slavery scriptures and I'm going to get to it and you'll see why here's the next thing that, that matters cross references matter cross references matter here's an important rule of thumb when the Bible is clear on something in one passage and seems confusing in another most times go with what has been made clear in your Bible 
your paper Bible that is. You know, because y'all ain't paper Bible saved no more. I was, see, I'm paper Bible saved. Me and Lauren, we paper Bible saved. Amen. Y'all, y'all, y'all phone, y'all phone saved. Amen. That's why you can power it on and off when you want to. Let me keep going. Sunday, I felt that right there. Here we go. In your Bible, you will find tiny letters dispersed throughout the verses. These letters are footnotes that direct you to other passages in the Bible that are related to the one you're reading. These other passages are referred as a cross-reference. If one of those tiny letters shows up in the passage you are finding difficult to understand, read the cross-reference so that you can get clarity. Y'all got that? Scripture will always interpret Scripture. If you find a principle over here, you'll find a principle over there. No anything stands alone in the Bible. I promise you, you will always find another scripture to back up what the, other, what the first scripture said. Here's the last one. Community matters when you interpret the Bible. This is where we're getting off, right here. If we didn't get all the rest of the stuff, this is where we get off, right here. When Jesus ascended into heaven, he left us, watch this, with his spirit, with his word, and with spirit-filled people to comfort and lead us into all truth. Mm -hmm. So in other words, when you don't understand something, that's why you have a community around you that will help to explain what you don't understand. This is why Charlemagne the God can sit on Breakfast Club and to every preacher bring up the fact that the Bible says, slaves obey your master because he doesn't have a community around him that can interpret the scripture right and tell him, bruh, let me break this down for you. So he can spew that out to millions of people and now you got all these people saying, well, the Bible says it endorses slavery. No, it don't. But when you don't have a community, this is why, watch this, the devil is fighting us from coming to church because he know if he don't get you around community, he can keep you in confusion. You'll never know. And let me be clear with you, because you are of this age that want everything fast, let me be very clear, clear with you. Sometimes you got to, got to put on your seatbelt and settle yourself in, because sometimes your question ain't answered to a year later. Stop trying to think that you're going to get everything that the Bible say in one little setting. You will not. You know why? Because you can't handle it. I can't handle it. It's too much for my, my mind to even wrap around. That's why he created community. This is why we have to have people around us that can explain the scripture to us. All right? So let's talk about, come on, let's go. Uh, the Bible and slavery. This is what I was trying to get all night. Now, I did say I was going to talk about misogyny and sexism in the Bible. I cannot touch it tonight because I got too much on this. All right? So I'm going to bring that up later this year in something else that I'm going to be doing. And I'll talk about sexism and misogyny in the Bible. Tonight, I just want to deal with the Bible and slavery. When people ask... Does the Bible condone slavery? To understand the true meaning of this answer, I don't even want to start with the scriptures on slavery. Touch your neighbor and say, you got to stay with him now. Tell your brain to wake on up because you're going to have to work this out. This is not user-friendly manual. This is grown folk talk right through here. Okay? I'm, I don't even want to start with slavery because for me to prove what I need to prove, there's something else I need to lift up. Here's what you got to understand. Number one, the Bible is complicated. 
the Bible is complicated. Have you ever tried to read it? It is complicated. But to truly understand, let me give this word, the hermeneutic. Hermeneutic. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C. The hermeneutic. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C. The hermeneutic. Okay? Um, or what does that mean? The way to look at the Bible, the proper interpretation of the Bible. We need to start off, watch this, with what Jesus says about divorce. What? That's why we found with divorce. That don't make no sense. We talking about slavery. How you got a divorce? Stay with me and I'll bless you. Seems like a strange place, but I believe that Jesus gives us a key, uh, gives us a hermeneutical key to understand how we read the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Okay? Go to Matthew 19, verse number 3. Matthew 19, verse number 3. Are y'all interested tonight? Matthew 19, verse number 3. I know it seems strange that I'm starting to talk about divorce first, but I promise you it's going to make a whole lot of sense in just a minute. Matthew 19, verse number 3. I'm reading for the NIV version of the Bible, um, and your version is fine. Just, just, just write it out. Watch this. Matthew 19, verse number 3. The Bible says, some Pharisees came to him, to Jesus, to test him. They asked, watch this, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse number 4. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning of of the at the beginning of the creator made them male and female and said for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh so they are no longer two but one flesh therefore what god has joined together let no one separate verse number seven why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. Here we go. Because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Did y'all see that? Stay with me. What the Pharisees was trying to do is what we do in the slavery issue is that they wanted to get Jesus into the weeds to fight about the issue to catch Jesus in an exegetical conundrum. Preach Philip. What Jesus does say, he says, hold on. In the beginning, it wasn't that way. You coming to tell me what Moses said, but Jesus said, I came with the creational intent. Are y'all with me so far? So rather than Jesus beginning with the passages in Deuteronomy, he goes back to creation and says, what was God's creational intent in this area? He says, God creation 
God's creation intent for man and woman was to be united as one flesh. And every law that Moses says about divorce was actually because of Israel's hardness of your heart. So because you wanted to do it, I permitted it. But it don't mean that was what God wanted. Do y'all see that? I need y'all to stay with me. Um, in other words, Jesus trying to say, it was because y'all was foul that God put these certain laws to deal with, here we go, human sinfulness. So what Jesus does is creates a separation within the Old Testament between God's creational intent what God's creational intent was and some of the laws in the Old Testament to mitigate the consequences of human sin. You wanted it that way, but God wanted it this way. And he allowed you. If you don't believe that God won't allow you, have you ever done something that you know you should not have done? That God should have struck you down right when you was about to do it, but he permitted you to do it? Here we go. And you were wrong and he still blessed you. Because there is something called the permissive will of God. Where he'll let you do your thing. Don't mean I like it. But because you are a free moral agent. I don't control you. You do what you want to do. So I'll let you do it. But it wasn't my creational intent. So now we have to take a step back and look at the Bible as a whole and ask, do we have any evidence that, that it was God's creational intent to enslave people? So when we read the, gener the gener uh, Genesis creation story, does it seem like God's plan was that we're going to have slaves? When you read Adam and Eve, where in that do you see that it was God's plan? For them to have slaves he creates Adam and Eve he tells them be fruitful and multiply so that one day we're going to slave a population of what you multiply is that how you interpret your Bible do you see that okay of course not so the discussion of slavery in the Bible is God's attempt to mitigate the impact of human sin not creational intent is that too heavy for y'all y'all with me if you understand lift your hand if you don't understand, raise your hand. Okay, all right. So the statement that the Bible supports, you weren't going to lift it because you're scared. The statement that the Bible supports slavery just misunderstands how Christians read the Bible. Here we go. Strong. Just because there's a passage of, that talks about something doesn't mean that's God's way for society to function. The Bible says an eye for an eye. So now I got to take your eye. Do you see that? I know this is hard for people that are uh, literalists that take this word and think that everything in here is literal. I know that's hard because you've been taught all your life. It's the word of God. It's infallible. You can't change it. It is what it is. Yeah, but you need some context. You need some interpretation. Okay. Watch this because watch this because from the Genesis story every human being is in God's image and reflecting him in the world means that God created us to be free beings and our sinfulness created the types of society in which slavery might be possible 
God actually chose. Now, here's what you got to understand. This is the deep part. Because for people to say that the Bible uh, endorses slavery, it, it contradicts majority of the Bible. Why? Because God chose an enslaved people to be his chosen people. He chose the Israelites. They was, in, they was in bondage to Egypt. Those were his people. So the foundation of the Christian story is God liberating an enslaved people. That's what it's all about. So you cannot say that the Bible endorses slavery. You can't talk about, watch this, you can't talk about Christianity or Judaism without talking about the liberation from slavery. And these liberated people are given laws that govern, watch this, slavery in Israel. I need you to go to Deuteronomy 15, verse number 12. Deuteronomy 15, verse number 12. Y'all all right? It's too heavy for y'all? It's going to make y'all a little uncomfortable when you start reading these scriptures. I know. No weapon that's fun against you shall prosper. Hey! Now I want you to hey on these scriptures. You won't. Deuteronomy 15, verse number 12 through 18. Catch what the word says. If your brother, a Hebrew man or a Hebrew woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, then in the seventh year you shall let him go free from you. And when you send him away free from you, you shall not let him go away empty-handed. You shall supply him liberally from, from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your wine press. From what the Lord, your God, has blessed you with, you shall give him. Just in case you didn't know, that's the biblical case for reparations. Let me keep going. Do y'all see that? Verse number 15. Come on, y'all got to know y'all. If you don't understand the word and know how to put it with the world, you will be confused. You will not know what's owed to you. Verse number 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. Therefore, I command you this thing today. And if it happens that he says to you, I will not go away from you because he loves you and your house since he prospers with you, then you shall take an all and thrust it through his ear to the door and he shall be your servant forever also to your female servants you shall do likewise it shall not seem hard to you when you send him away free from you for he has been worth a double hired servant and serving you six years then the lord your god will bless you and all you do you gonna bless me because of slavery that's a hard that's a hard scripture ain't it here we go context the reason God tells them to set the slave free after seven years is because they had been slaves in Egypt. Their experience of slavery as a nation was, to, was supposed, hear this, to prevent them from actually enslaving another person permanently. But how many know that sometimes what God brings you out of, you don't mind seeing it in somebody else? Hmm. Mm -hmm. God rescues, rescues you from that relationship you went through hell and high water got out of it now you're looking at the one you don't like and you don't mind her going through the same thing in fact you gloat over it let me keep going their experience of slavery as a nation was supposed to prevent them from actually enslaving another person permanently. So the biblical ideal was that there would be no permanent slaves in Israel. It was illegal after seven years. Now this is problematic. The scripture is very problematic uh, uh, because 
watch this if you keep on reading you will discover in the same chapter that the Bible says you can keep foreign slaves forever because the scripture started talking about if he's a Hebrew that means if he wanted your people you can only keep him for six years and you gotta let him go on the seventh but the Bible says in the same scripture if they if they're a foreigner you can keep them enslaved forever so that law said that a foreigner could be enslaved permanently in Israel now this was not something that was condemned. It was something that was allowed. I need you to hear that. This was not something that was condemned. It was something that was allowed. But you always have to keep in the mix. Is this God's creational intent? Go to Exodus 21. I'm going to prove my point to you. Exodus 21. Because it is hard for us as African Americans coming from enslaved people in this country to see slavery the way that the Bible was seeing slavery or the way that God was trying to get them to see slavery. So I need you to see this in a different text. Exodus 21, verse number 26. Exodus 21, verse number 26 and 27. If a man strikes the eye of his male or female servant and destroys it, he shall let him go free for the sake of his eye. And if he knocks out the tooth of his male or female servant, he shall let him go free for the sake of his tooth. Here's what the word is saying. God is saying, if you injure a slave, you must let that slave go free. If you back up to verse number 20 in the same text, it says if you kill the slave, the punishment is actually death. Are y'all still with me? Now your translator uses the word punishment or punished on verse number 20, but in the original language, that word punishment means killed. So in verse 20, it says, masters, if you kill one of your slaves, you shall be killed. It is the punishment of the master who kills a slave. And what it shows you, now the text said, if you injure them, if you bruise them, talking about if you, if you hit the eye, you knock out their tooth, guess what? You got to let them go free. What is happening here? It shows you that is, is even a foreign slave was recognized just like an Israelite because the Bible says that if you kill the slave, the punishment was death permanently. So yes, the Bible has slavery in the Old Testament, but there's not this, what we consider in American society, this raped, pillage, and do whatever you want to to a slave in the way that we had in American slavery. It was not looked upon as the same, y'all. But you don't know that if you don't read the Bible, because your scripture just showed you if you bruise one of them, you got to let them go free. That means you can't even touch them. And if you kill one of them, then you got to be killed as well. That's what God's word says. Okay? It, it's, it's much more. Uh, here's the reality of what's going on in the, in, in the culture. Here's the, way that you here's the way that you can actually mitigate what's happening. So God is saying, I'm permitting this. I don't like it. But here's the rules I'm going to put on this. Because at the end of the day, you're going to do what you want to do. Because I already know your heart. And because I know your heart, you want to be like the other nations that have slaves. And so I brought you out of slavery, and I know you're going to enslave other people. Here's the crazy part. Do you know who they enslaved? Here's who they enslaved. But you got to know your word for this. They only enslaved people, watch this, that they got from battle. So when they fought other nations, they would enslave those people. 
because they felt that was the only way they can control from them rising up and getting them back. Do you get that? And so God says, because I know you're going to do it, here's the rules I'm going to put on you. Don't you touch them. Don't you kill them. Because if you touch them, you got to let them go. And if you kill them, we're taking your head off too. Go to Deuteronomy 23. Deuteronomy 23, verse number 15 and 16. Are y'all uncomfortable? Y'all lying. Y'all are, y'all are uncomfortable that this is in your Bible. I get it. I understand. You're going to make it through. Deuteronomy 23, verse number 15. Deuteronomy 23, verse number 15. Again, you cannot look at it from the perspective of an American uh, uh, history perspective. You have to rise up higher than that. That is not what's going on. Deuteronomy 23, verse number 15. I'm just proving it to you in the text. Here it is, Deuteronomy 23, verse number 15. If a slave has taken refuge with you, do not hand them over to their master. If a slave runs away and comes to you, don't hand them back over to their master. Oh, I know, because you think Kunta Kinte. So this is hard for you. This is challenging you, because you can only see it from Kunta Kinte. Ain't that what the word just said? If they find refuge in you, don't hand them back over to their master. Watch this. Verse number 16. Let them live among you wherever they like and in whatever town they choose. Do not oppress them. So I want to be very clear. The Bible never says slavery is a great idea. Not one place. Next line says, but if you can get free, run. No. Why is he saying this? Here's the clarity. In this society, there were levels of slaves. You had the high-class slaves. You had the low-class slaves. What he is saying is if you are a low-class slave, and watch this. I need y'all to stay with this because this is deep. He's saying, don't worry about it. Now, what did he start talking about? He's talking about if you were called while you were uncircumcised, don't get circumcised. If you were called while you were uncircumcised, you know, he was saying that. He said, and if you were called while you were a slave, don't worry about it. Here's why he said that. If you are a low-class slave, and if you were being sexually abused, if I am a Christian, and the things that the master does to me, does that make me immoral? That's what he's dealing with. If I'm a slave, and I believe in God, and in Jesus Christ, and what the master does to me, he violates me, does that now make me immoral? Now, some of you don't think that makes any sense, but there are people in here that have been raped and molested that know you carry a guilt with you. What he's dealing with is the guilt of the matter because at this time, they thought that because what the master did to me, it now makes me immoral. There must be something wrong with my salvation. Watch this. So am I a bad Christian because this person is doing bad stuff to me? And Paul wasn't saying, if you are a slave, don't worry about being free. He is saying, if you are a slave and something happens to you, don't let that doubt your salvation. Context. Because he was talking about the uncircumcised being circumcised. He said, don't worry about that. Because that circumcision don't make you saved. 
And then he switches over to the slave and says, listen, if they violate you, don't carry the guilt of that. Don't think there's something wrong with your salvation just because that happened to you. What is he dealing with? He's dealing with the reality of what was going on. He is not endorsing slavery. He's saying, this is what it is. And since this is what it is and it ain't going to change, let me tell you how to deal with this. What he's telling the slave is no matter what you go through or no matter what you've been through, God still loves you. If you are a Jew, be a Jew. Don't worry about circumcision. If you are a Gentile, be a Gentile. But if you are a slave and you can get free, get free. Because he knows, watch this, why is he telling that if you can get free, if you could be free, get free? Because he knows that slavery puts certain hindrances on how you can serve the Lord. You can't say Paul endorses it while he's telling them, listen, if you can get free, get free. Paul sees the potential moral problem with slavery, and he says, if you can get free, get free. Go over to Ephesians 6, chapter, verse number 5. Ephesians the 6, chapter, verse number 5. And this is what they love to quote. Ephesians the 6, chapter, verse number 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Here's the question that I had. Why didn't Paul just call for a revolution? Why he tell the slaves, come on, let's rise up? You got to take that. Watch this. You have to think of the historical context of what's going on. At any given city during this time, there were at most, at most in that city, 50 to 100 Christians versus a city of 100,000 people. This is the problem with us because we look at it from the perspective that Paul is talking to a dominant Christian culture. He is not. The dominant culture was a Roman, Greco, Greco-Roman culture where slavery was just a part of the life. And now he's trying to tell a Greco-Roman culture that are Christians in this culture, listen. Um, and the problem is, we liken it to America, a Christian, supposedly, a Christian nation, where we say slaves submit to your master, and in theory, they could easily, watch this, so we think of it like this where if you have a politician who don't like what's going on, they can easily change the law. That is not what's happening. Christians were only 50 to 100 people in that one city of 100,000, which means, here we go, they had no political power. They don't get political power for another 300 years. So because they had no political power, they just can't go out and change laws. Because you are thinking of it from an American standpoint where if we don't like something, we'll just change the law. That is not the context they are living in. This is why you got to read the Bible in a different way. Because sometimes we can put so much of our Western culture on top of what's really going on, and that's not what's happening in the Word. Christians are the minority in a Roman Empire with no political clout. They don't get any uh, uh, political clout for hundreds of years. In fact, watch this. If you really carry through history, Christians, when they do get political clout, watch this, slavery glows away. Mm -hmm. During this time. But in this context, what 
does Paul actually do with the Christian slaves and the Christian masters? He's trying to say, here's the context of what's happening, and here's how to tell you how you got to do this. Go to Ephesians 6, chapter, verse number 9. I think that's just a couple of verses down. Watch this. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. I am challenging all your belief systems right now because you only saw this one way and Paul is laying out, listen, I know you got slaves but don't even threaten them. You can't even threaten them. Don't hit them. Don't beat them. Don't even threaten them. I understand that you are in a Greco-Roman world. I understand what is going on around you. But here's the standard for the Christians. Can you imagine uh, saying not only can you not beat the slave, but you can't even threaten the slave? Can you imagine that kind of society? Can you imagine two, three hundred years ago, somebody showing up and telling uh, white slave owners, you can't even threaten these people? You can't even beat them? That's what Paul was telling them. Let's go deeper. When you add into the mix Christian sexual ethics, let's talk about it. Because one of the main ways slaves were exploited was through sexual exploitation during this time. So the Christian sexual ethics says, watch this, you only have sex with your wife. That's what Paul shows up and tells them. You can only have sex with your wife. Every married man in here, you can only have sex with your wife. That's what the word of God says. You know what that means? That means it has a direct impact to how you treat your slaves. Because now your faith is teaching you, no, you can't sexually exploit them. So as the world is telling you that the, that the scripture endorses uh, a slavery, now you got all these scriptures that don't, don't say nothing like that at all. That the context is not the same from an American perspective. Do y'all see this? I think I lost some of y'all. Y'all sleepy? Y'all ready to go? There's no sexual, sexually assaulting your slaves. So masters, because you have to give an account, because you have a heavenly master that you have to give an account to. So it, threat, it treats the slave as a fellow image bearer who deserves dignity and respect. And in return, Paul tells the slave, watch this, here's, here's, here's the hard part, you just can't leave. You can't run, Kuta. But you have to treat your master with respect because that's the world we live in. Now that might be, here we go, emotionally unsatisfying for you. Because you want your word to line up with your emotions, which change every three seconds. But what Paul is actually doing is he is dealing with the real ethical situation in his church's time, giving these realities of today. How can I mitigate the fallenness of society? So he reminds the slave and the master that they both have a heavenly father who you have to give an account to. I hope you understand now the difference of when Paul and when the Bible talks about slavery. Because it is not from the same perspective of the American perspective. Any questions? Are y'all lost? I feel like y'all lost. Some of y'all was looking at me like, I know I was above your pay grade. I get it. I get it. I know. You want me to tell you, touch your neighbor, and God going to bring you out. But I'm trying to equip you 
because when the Hebrew Israelite come to you with some foolishness, you can't be fooled up anymore by trying to convince you of what the word says. That ain't what your words say. You got scriptures now that Paul lays out. It is what it is. This is what we're dealing with. So do you understand the connection now of why I said how scripture interpretation changes through generations? Okay, you get it now? Because Paul was dealing with that at that time. And he said that was how society was. And because that's how society was, this is how you're going to deal with it. Again, if God is not bigger than your Bible, then you will worship your Bible and not God. Because he said, I'll do a new thing. Don't box me in. He's so much bigger than that. On next week, we're going to have two people here. Um, and we're going to be taking questions. So I want you to do this for me. If you have any questions about uh, is Christianity a white man's religion or you have anything that you're unclear of, something I didn't explain well, um, I ain't going to get, I ain't upset about it. I want you to email me, pastor at tfcj.org, pastor at tfcj.org. And what you can do is um, email me your question and I'll make sure I ask it next week. We'll have two people here that are well versed in this and they will have uh, talking through this and answering questions as well so I'm excited about them coming um, and so we're excited about that and so I want you to be here on next week ready for this panel discussion and this talk um, my prayer is that you have a renewed uh, sense of your faith um, I was going to send this to y'all I was looking online and there's a big really big church up in Ohio really big church up in Ohio and um I was looking and I and I was like, I saw the advertisement and the advertisement said, it's Christianity, white man's religion. That's the series in, in, um, in February. And I said, you know what? I don't think people appreciate when you have somebody that's ahead of the trend, that sees something coming down the pipeline and prepares you. And, and I notice now churches are catching on. It's not to talk against white people. It's not, it's not even about that. It's just making sure that you see yourself in the scripture and you are well equipped because I don't want you to fall away because you don't know. In this church, you will never walk away and say, I didn't, wasn't taught. If you don't know, it's because you weren't here. Hallelujah. Because I done poured out all month long. I have nothing else to give. I'm ready to move on to another subject. <laughs> All right. So I hope you got this on tonight. If you did not get this, go back and listen to it again on the podcast. Um, again, any questions, any questions, any questions, any questions? Praise the Lord. Are y'all fasting? Thank y'all for the ones over here. Amen. <laughs> they eating over here. <laughs> eating good. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right. Um, so don't forget to send me your questions. Send me your questions because I'm going to be asking some in-depth questions on next week. And um, they will be able to answer your questions in-depth. And I'm excited about that as well. Uh, don't forget. I'm sorry. I had a couple of announcements I need to give to you real quick. Um, don't forget Soul, Soul Cries this Friday, this Friday night. Amen. I'm excited about that. Um, we have two musical guests that are coming. Um, we have Justin Grover, who's an amazing, amazing worship. He's going to be here. And we got an oldie but goodie. Nehemiah will be here. He'll be um, doing worship as well, as well. So we're excited about that. Um, for those that don't know, Nehemiah moved away. He's a um, minister of music at a 